0: Listening to the Yeshiva of Newark podcast, I'm your host and curator Rabbi Avram Kivilevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. In the summer of 2019, months before the COVID pandemic would fuel a massive expansion of podcast availability and eventual acceptance of this medium even from the most conservative religious circles, the Yeshiva of Newark launched its platform, fusing an enlightened series of Shuram and contemporary topics presented uncompromisingly with serious interviews and dialogue with important figures in education, psychology, and mystical thought. The result shown important shafts of light on hitherto unnoticed problems and suggesting real solutions. During the global shutdown of in-person learning options and forced quarantines, hundreds of searchers across multiple time zones joined our Zoom live events every afternoon and evening. Sophisticated classes described the fundamentals of Talmud learning for adults who had been underserved. Scholarly old hands joined Shurim and Yershalmi and Dafyemi. We were at the forefront of producing Hespatim for so many stalwarts of Torah and Avoda who passed away during the height of the Magaifa. These presentations brought comfort and appreciation to the bereaved of our people. The platform routinely chimed in on the relevant issues and upsetting scandals of the day from a rabbinic perspective, we even offered options for healthy, life-affirming entertainment and a world bowled over by streaming services. With downloads approaching the million mark and an archival library numbering in the thousands, the Yeshiva of Newark podcast has been striving to continuously upgrade our content, professionalize our audio sound, along with altering approaches in light of much appreciated listener feedback. I firmly believe that a niche has been carved out that resonates with many on the wide spectrum of observant Jews. This explains why we continually rank high in independent online lists of top Yeshiva podcasts. This proud edifice I've described is in real danger of toppling and disappearing. We need the help of our listeners to continue to record and edit, to promote the product that has been a balm An instructor to so many. Just $36 as a minimum donation from a thousand of you out there will keep us afloat as a new arc of straight, intelligent, humorous discussion, lectures, debate, and inquiry while the destructive waters of ignorance and identity politics, cyberbullying crash around us. Your generous contributions will seal and galvanize this arc till it comes to a satisfying rest in an era of beloy HaOred's Deo, heralding Mashiach, from Heira, Amen. Shalom, this is Shmoozing with Rav Meir Shuler, Meir Enei Chachamim. Today, let's try to open up a a pretty difficult box, but I think a box that needs to be opened up And and maybe it's not even the box. It's sort of like an echo chamber. We're hearing so many different opinions, uh, different shittas, whether it has to do with the actual situation in Eretz Yisrael today about what should be the attitude of the Haredim towards this mochoma, in general, how they should be mishtatev uh, in the Medina. These are questions which we've talked about. This just really emphasizes the fact that we are hearing so many different uh, varieties of opinions uh, that seem to take almost diametrically opposite I- ideologies. And, and and as you mentioned to me, this is really the point of understanding, especially if it's the sources are rooted in in Chazal, in the Torah, in the minds of Gedele Yisrael throughout generations. We have to try to wrap our hands around this idea of Elu Veil uh, Divrei Elikim Chaim. Ramer, you, you made me aware of a sheir that was given in Haratzion, commonly known as Gush, by Rav Asaf Bednarsh. The sheir was then transcribed by, by, I assume it's his wife or his daughter, Leora Bednarsh, about this topic of Eilu V'Eilu. He calls it halakhic pluralism, and he does a really fine job, and we recommend for our listeners to go to the, to the Gush website to read both of these articles on halakhic pluralism. Before we get into what you really want to tackle, which is Eilu elu, in terms of Hashkaf HaSachayim, let's give a little summary of the work that was done here in halacha of Eilu elu. Yes, the article
1: by uh, Rabbi Bednash does a, a fine job of it, and I can also recommend our listeners uh, locate it. But he quotes what I would call the practical elu elu approaches, and then moves on to the more uh, esoteric or universalist approaches. Uh, he be- begins by citing the, uh, the Hida, who simply says that in order to understand the accepted opinion in halacha, we must understand the rejected opinion, because that will yield greater clarity of the accepted opinion. So it's a very practical matter. Uh, in order to know what we hold, we have to understand the Tsad egged, and that will produce greater clarity, but there is a correct, a correct tzad, And of course, if you go back to the original Gemara, the Bashama Basilag, the Gemara does conclude that despite there being being Eluva Elu, you do have the Halacha at So we'll have to grapple with that, that there is a Kriya Sahalacha to some degree. And then he moves on from the Hidal, he moves on to, uh, to Ramesha Feinstein and says, Ramesh says that, um, And that's the starting point for all these discussions. And therefore, as long as one follows the correct halachic process, then those are all legitimate opinions. Because Ramesha Feinstein, and if the Pesach, or maybe the Balashkafa, uh, reaches a conclusion based
0: upon legitimate sources, then those opinions are legitimate. He calls from Rav Moshe's Hak to the Yigris, right, which he doesn't call yes. from a, a some sort of Chuv or Dibras Moshe, it's Rav Moshe sort of explaining and justifying why he wrote this work and why his work can act as an exemplar for others to model and to see, you know, how he grappled with with ideas. And I think Part of it really represents the innate uh, modesty that, that really suffuses so much of Rav Moshe's works. My point here is, is that Rav Moshe says, yeah, we might be wrong, right? Yeah, it might be klappi shemaya, this is wrong. But still, God allows us to operate within this mistake, because this was the—we used our efforts— we expended our energies, our mental energies. We did our research. We did the best we could, and we were machriya that this is the way to go. <laughs> so it's diverlakimchaim because God is not going to punish us or going to uh say that we did not arrive to the truth, even though there is sort of this this ultimate truth in Shemayim, but God knows that oh, how weak we are, perhaps, and, and, and that we tried our best, and God empowered us to think, again, and I, I sort of see it, as you can see now, as sort of like modest acceptance, even though maybe Achirmey of Esther Rav himself will discover that he was wrong, in terms of how he poskened.
1: From there, um, he enters into uh, more, by Bednash, I mean, he quotes uh, the Ritva, and the Ritur says that um, the Pshatan Leba he is that um, it's up to the Chachmei Hadar, and it's not necessarily going to be the objective truth, and that the Rebunah Shalom has no objective truth in Halacha. So, unlike Ramesha, is saying there is an objective truth, but we can only struggle to approximate it by utilizing legitimate means. But here in the Ritva, there's a sense in which no, that the objective truth, so to speak, is based upon whatever the Chachmeadar conclude, whatever the
0: Masuri yields. The Ritva, you know, who 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 was standardly dealt with, you know, these type of conundrums and difficult issues, he he mentions that this is from the Baliates, and Bednarch uh correctly indicates that you can find it in the rash michchan, so I, I think it's it's interesting that it, it's passed for the baliates right you've you've mentioned right. often here on this program the uh, Te is multiple Tirutsim, right Tes is not uh, unlike you know the Ramban and the rashpa who who sometimes suggest one answer and then reject it in favor of the one that they enshrine. Tesvas always gives you. Like, a lot of different choices, right? And, and you sort of have to use your cup, as you mentioned uh, often, to figure out. So I think it's that the Rashmi who in many ways is sort of the architect of the tesis that we have, should be the one who says, yes, the truth is there's multiple emesis. There's all these different, you know, approaches. And the Rabbanu Shalom basically has allowed all of them to be true.
1: I did, I did, um, sort of jot down this morning. I found a, a psyktad rafgahana, in which he says that Torah is similar to the mon, and each person tasted the revelation at Sinai according to sort of his own inclination. And we can talk about this a bit later on, where there are those who are going to say a psaq depends upon the midah of the pesik, but the psikta does say that um that's the way Hashem gave it, according to so the way you you want to have the taste or you are imbued with a certain taste sense. But in any event, he then moves on to a havesioah, and the havesioah is very confused by this. He says, uh, is there not sort of an objective truth in the Torah? And the Khabasya says it is not some extra objectivity which lies out there that we approach, but it is yielded by the playing out of the individual poskim. And as I often say, you know, if uh 50 minutes after the Shia is going to get a reward for the mitzvah of Krishna Shaharvas. And the Rabbeinu Tamnik is not uh, leaving aside all the complexities of those two shitas, but similarly, uh, you know, in terms of uh, till when you can daven mincha and all many many areas of halacha, people could do shnei Hafeichem, and both receive the extraordinary star of being makhain the being kind the mitzvah.
0: Yeah, well, let me let me just throw in a sort of a contemporary of the Chavos Yar Reb Yosef Irgis. Who, in the Sefer Shem Munim, which is for many searchers, has been the Hakdoma Sefer for Chokmas Asoid, uh, he discusses how the halacha in the future time will be like Beishamay. He mentions uh, he uses he has sources from Zoyer and other places, but he has a very cute chab. He says that's what it means that Shama, shama according to Shamay, Shamayim Nivrat and according to Hillel Ha'oritz Nivritchila, he sees this as uh, as not just a question of cosmology, but a question of are we are we centered or we God centered? The reason why the is like Hillel now is because Shammai was operating on the high darga that most people bezmanazeh. Till won't be able to be masik. So even, and we're not talking here Ashkofa, we're even talking about halacha, that the, the halachas of Shammai, which predominantly are lechumra, are based on Shammai aspiring to a new status of man, a status of man which he feels he's capable of, even here in this, uh, you know, in the Olam Hazah of Yetzirah and all, all sort of difficulties. So in a way, again, what Yetzirah says, it's each zman is machayev a different hira, and this is why, as the Gemara says, that Hillel gave the psak, but were noyeg in many ways kebe shamai. They understood that their that their psak was meant for most people, but in certain ways they were machmir, and that's why they were able to intermarry <laughs> into the to places of Shammai and to be makabu those chumros because they recognized, you know, the, the what Shammai was about. I've often thought humorously in this regard
1: that uh, the architecture of the Bata Kinesios Lovite and going would have to be very different because you have to sort of have bed set up to say Krishna Shal Arvis, according to Shammai's uh, Bishach So it was sort of the
0: actual lying down. So I have to restructure the shul to allow for that. By the way, just before we move on from Shammai and Hillel, uh, I should note that up until the time of uh, Rabbi Yisrael Salantel, you find in Sifrei Machshava the idea that Shammai was a machmir in his in his Shoirish Hanefesh, and therefore his Halochas came out that way. And you see you see in those that tried to write the history of halacha, like Gratz and others, that that Shammai came to the sources with the negias that were already implanted in him due to his persona. Due to his midos, and therefore, um, you know, a, a series of chumras issued from the the school of Shammai, and and Gratz adapts this to to many of the uh, the Tanoim, uh, Reb Gamliel and others that they were acting based on forces that they couldn't control. They were dealing with the same texts and the same hermetical principles, but they would have to shape them and form them according to the shoyrish of what they were. And and Rabbi Solante uh, really rejects that. He'd like to suggest that Shammai and Hillel were both tabula rasas. What made them Tamil hachomim meant a certain stoic power to resist any sort of uh, emotional intrusion from whatever they were born with. They were actually calm and reserved. And Shammai decided to be Machmir. It was like it was a, it was a, it was a decision that that was the best and that was necessary. It wasn't that he was somehow forced to to come up with this psaq because of uh, the type of person that he was. This is an
1: old debate: the degree to which we may grant that um, external forces. Shaped a Pesach's response to things the 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 changing approach to girls' education, which we encounter at the beginning of the twentieth century uh, was clearly based upon change changed social conditions in which you know girls were not sitting at
0: home all day long, you know needing hamish election you you don't expect a Pesach to be frozen. Uh, in a refrigerator, and not looking at what's happening outside. Uh, the whole idea of psak halacha is to apply to a new reality that was different. Right. The question right. is, the right. the sure. hanhaga was it? And I think that's what you know, Rabbi Israel took Umbrance to. He recognized that already, whether it was whether he had read Gratz or not, that that had bec- that was becoming sort of a uh, a motif by those that tried to wrap their head around halacha that, and, and try to give a personality to each shita. We, we, a lot of times, learn a lot from our students. And I don't know if you experienced this as well, but every single year that I was teaching in high school, whenever I had a machleik as or a the kids would always try to, you know insert into Rishlokish's shit whatever it was about something about Rishlokish's history you know they were so farhapt by Rishlokish starting off or living life as a bandit living life as a highwayman living life as someone who was who was who was like a, a ninja nunchucker who was able to you know, you know able to to rob and steal and do stuff and they would always try to see in in his shitas the opinion of someone who was a Balchuva or someone who had uh, had had you know had tasted the other velt and i think that the you know, again it's it's it, there's you can see how people in order to to wrap their heads around the different shitas and in, in shas, might want to use these type of uh, historical uh information that we have of them in order to uh, to sort of uh wrestle with it and also to understand it. And I think that's what I, what, why Rabbi Solanter was, was pushing off against that. He felt that anyone who's welcome into the academy, yes, it's interesting, their story, and we can learn from them. But once you're in the, the rarefied air of the Bismedrish, you, you, you're not, you don't earn your stripes as a Tana or an Amoira or a paisik bismanazer unless you're able to tap, put your emotions into a box and 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 use your cup as great as possible to figure things out.
1: I don't know if we can really use that theory all the way through. I think what that theory can do is safeguard us against stepping out of the Halachic world altogether, as the reforming conservative movements did. But within the Halachic world, there's no question that the prior cultural ashkafic assumptions of people. Lead them in how to read a text. In other words, reading the texts about women's learning Torah post uh, Sarashnara and reading them before her, it's going to be a different reading and understanding of the text. And as somebody humorously once said, did anybody really think that the religious Zionists were who believed in the Hetamachira and Shrias, that they were going to be the ones who would be machmir, and the religious Zionists, the settlers, were going to be the ones who are going to be, um, um, you know, if I cared, then the, the anti-Zionists were going to be Makel. It, it's a, it doesn't work that way. In other words, we carry with us our hashkafic and cultural baggage into the circumstances we inhabit. So again, I think that your point is good. Your at this point is important in terms of where we may not go, but in terms of how far we may go Within the confines of Allah, there I think the human person and his history and culture, you almost can't separate yourself from that. Uh, I, I will just note in this context, uh, I don't remember the exact year, but it would have probably been 1965, 66. My 10th uh, grade rebbe and lifelong rabbi, rabbi Danzika, wrote an article in Jewish Observer, which was called Modern Orthodoxy or Orthodox Modernism? Question mark. And the the key, one of the key points in this article was to present that Rebbe Salanto like approach. So I just note here that although I disagree somewhat,
0: it's an important article to check. And and, and let me also just add here that you find by by Hsidr Sherebis, uh especially I'm talking about the mean Lublin, was want to look at various rabbinic personages of his time. And, beyond, and earlier, and say the reason why their life and what they did was based on the fact that they were a Gilgal of someone else. He said famously about Rebbe the Rabienus and Rabienus and that he was a Gilgal of Rebelezer Ben Horkinus. That it's clear that someone so brilliant, someone who who in his time and his youth was known as a firebrand, the most great, the greatest Lamden got himself embroiled in one of the most horrendous uh, scandals of the 18th century and the accusations uh, swirling around him that he harbored Sabbatean ideas and actually wrote Kameus that were in line uh, towards uh, Shab Tzvi. How could that happen? so he said because he was from the neshama of Rabbi waizer ben Urkenes, who also despite his greatness that he was uh, extolled in pirke also got involved in machlekas with all the chachamim so so you see that the you know the by, by the by the chsidim, they were fine with you know talking about the different halochis and the different shairish and and that all of that influenced their not only you know the, their 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 halachic approach and and various uh takes that they had in life. And as you say, realistically, how could it be how could it be different? How could it be different? Um, you know, Raf salveitchik wrote in one of his essays that that you know, this an essay he wrote in in the period maybe you might remember, uh 1957, 58, I think when Sputnik was was launched, he said that this is a model of how everyone should approach Halocha. He says, yes, what happens in sputnik the 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 retrograde engines come to life and and allow this cubicle this space rocket uh to be able to lift itself from the earth. He says that's the love and the concern and the energies that every pleik must have in order to roll up their sleeves to get involved in difficult questions there has to be a care and a concern a, a a a hislavus if you will but once you're in that world just like sputnik you enter an orbit and that orbit is unchanging that orbit goes around and around and around and and it's part of a of of a of a world that that you can't necessarily take shortcuts yes why did you decide to get into this question that is the engines, the rockets, that get you into, uh, I- I- you know, 22,300 feet into the stratosphere. But once you're there, <laughs> you can't elbow yourself way out. Now you, you, are, you are bound by what halacha is. Said by
1: one whose whole life was a courageous abandonment of many of the halachic and traditions of his family. So uh, <laughs> even
0: that must be taken with a bit of a grain of salt. Yeah, because, I guess, uh, listen, R- Rav Mayer, I think both of us, again, I won't, I won't speak for you, but we've all mm-hmm. been able to articulate a great idea, but not necessarily not necessarily living up to it. You right. Know, again,
1: again, the chassidim friend of mine once said, and I think we can apply it to Solovej also, he said Hasidim can say anything about their derek. About its superiority. The one thing they cannot claim for it is Masoira. And the same thing for Rav Soloveitchik. We can claim many things for this man, but to say he was following his Masoira is, of course, wildly inaccurate.
0: Uh, let me take up the um, the second essay and sheer that Rav Bednarsh presented. He, I think, got a little more um, detailed and a little more sophisticated. And that's where he brings in the Maharal. I'm going to quote reading from the synopsis that was written. Maharal explains that the phenomena of disputes between Torah scholars is not a failure of the system, but rather a strategy for attaining ultimate truth. God created each individual with a unique personality, and therefore different people have different perspectives and different ways of thinking. Maharal explains further that nothing in the world is simple. Complexity is present in every aspect of our existence. Even those matters that are good have some negative aspect to them, and even bad things have a positive aspect. Nothing's purely good or evil. And therefore, the true objective answer to any halochic question is never a simple yes or no. There are always different facets to every issue that reflect the complexity of the real world. Therefore, the halochic perspective on any issue must also be complex. The function of of halacha is not to oversimplify reality, and ignore the complexities of the real world, but rather to reflect that complexity and teach us the authentic, divine perspective on that complexity.
1: It's almost a word-for-word translation, because as you were reading it, and I have the here in front of me, which I a statement, it's almost a, a word-for-word translation. Just, I just want to throw out a few of the Hebrew phrases here. Nason kol dova dova that there are people who are this way, people who are that way, in terms of complexity, the quote is "Sh'ena oylam pashet shaloyehei boy chilev bechinas ki l'chol echad v'echad yesh toy bechena b'tnei atzmai." That's a quote, and also he says the person who hears all the deias hashamei kol adias hari hisik hadava k'fi mashieish la'daber bechinas mischalfas. So, again, the truth is more pluralistic, as, as the title of the essay is, halachid pluralism, the truth is more pluralistic. So here I think we're hearing that in reality, in in heaven, there is a more pluralist truth, which then is transferred to mankind through different poskim uh, and different mahalchim. So it's not a, a subjective falsification of the objective. But the objectivity is, in fact, more pluralist
0: than we might think. The true meaning of halachic pluralism is not that each opinion has its own parallel truth, but rather that any human opinion can, by definition, only contain part of the ultimate truth. And and here here we're called upon
1: again to bechab, that which the Maral is saying, which is omuk-omuk, and what it means to step out of the whole faith of orthodox jews of torah jews so the morale is
0: saying that there there is this plurality of truth in heaven so therefore bednarsh is able to use this morale to really i i guess we talked about reform and conservative we talked about gratz's writing of a history of halacha if if one reads and and gets affected by that, one says, oh, well, you know, it's all, the rabbis are all struggling, they really don't know what they're doing, they are just pushing things based on their ignorance. So, as Bednarsh writes, uh, when commentaries argue regarding the correct halakhic ruling, this represents not a lack of clear knowledge, but a deeper knowledge of the multivalent truth about this particular halakhic matter. The complex rulings of the later poiskim are the proper applications of that multifaceted truth. When the negative aspects of a certain matter clearly outweigh the positive aspects, we rule for practical purpose that's forbidden. When the positive aspects outnumber the negative, we rule it's permitted. But at times, when both facets are significant, we'll emerge with a sophisticated ruling that reflects the complexity of the issue and will be lenient in some circumstances and stringent in other circumstances depending on the exact balance and relative strength of the conflicting aspects. The complex rulings that emerge from the halachic process are thus reflections of authentic truth, which is necessarily complex and dependent on the circumstances. So I just want to say that, you know, Bednarsh's uh, championing of this approach, I think, acts as a, um, as as a, to me, a slap in the face to many today, and I'm going to mention him by name because I've mentioned him past, someone who I really like, uh, Sperber. Uh, who has written? Who put together the wonderful Ben Haga But he wrote an article in tradition about the paralysis of Aloha. He wrote it. A, 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 you might have read it, uh, Rev Mayer, uh, and he talked about how we're and he he pointed to the Mishnah Brura, who. Often, what I just read from ben Arsh, you could see in every, almost any sim in a the types of gradations. Well, it depends here, and here, at here, and if it's right, and Sperber looks at that and says, look how paralyzed halacha is. Look how, you know, you're trying to somehow make sense of the different shittas and putting it in perspective. We're, we're stuck, and we don't have a clarity. Basically, it's small-mindedness, and you need new thinking to sort of like erase the blackboard and move forward. Otherwise, we're going to be trapped uh, in this modern world with halachic strictures from an old world. And I think that Bednarch's description of how complex halacha is, is how important it is, uh, I think acts as, as I said, a a defense— of what we would call, yeah, yeah, you're right. It is. It's tough to be a basic. It's messy, as Rav Salvechik said. Halacha can sometimes be very messy, but that doesn't make it any less true. That doesn't mean that it's an example of sophistry or, or just stumbling along.
1: I just want to add one thing because Bednarsch quotes it. It's so delicious, I can't get away from it. He quotes the Arach Hashulchan and the Hakdamat HaCheshon Mishmat. Everybody should read this, or at least read. This one paragraph, he talks about how good machloik is. Machloik is a wonderful thing he says. And here's what he says. kula shira. The Torah is called a song. The Tiferis has and the beauty of music, of song is Kesha Kulus Mashun Zamizah. What makes music? What makes a, a symphony? Different notes, different songs are being sung together this is the major sweetness is the fact that there are these clearless mashunas and he says whoever has, whoever has swam in the Yama Talmud he will see the diverse sweetness in all the voices So in fact, this pluralism is the the ultimate sweetness because the truth is in a sense, in a sense, in some areas,
0: pluralistic, provided it is abided by the rules of the game. You know, the you know, the, the statement that you read from the Racha Shulchan's Hak Dome is really the reason why, despite the immense beauty and form of the Rambam's Mishneh Torah, that the Rambam's uh, plan didn't work. You know, the Rambam's plan to turn... This this incredibly written, wonderfully sculpted, carefully edited work did not replace the Talmud. It did not become what everybody would start to learn. The Rambam writes clearly in his Igris uh, that he expects people— he would expect people to start with learning Mishnah Torah, and when they couldn't figure it out, they, they would go onto the shelf and take out a Gemara and seal. Is that what he means? But basically, the the, the ideas and formulations would be based on the Mishnah Taira that was written so wonderfully, Baloshana Mishnah. No. <laughs> we want the messy Talmud with all its Aramaic and its difficult phrases and its its, its multiplicity of opinions and... That's better. And that has carried the day. The Rambam is the one on the shelf. And it's from that churning we we take to halacha. We take the halacha from there. Mm -hmm. We started this discussion about what seems to be more on people's minds today, the machleksim in in hashkofa, in deos. I wouldn't call it politics as much as how are we supposed to look at, for example, the hakomas ha How are we supposed to look at The life in Eretz Yisrael, which was so different than anything that had happened for almost 2,000 years. This was a reality. A a medina that wasn't necessarily, that was not halachic, but yet was populated and and, and run by Jews. How are we supposed to live and recognize and comprehend this? And as most of our listeners know, there is one opinion— uh, that is, I, I guess, for lack of better way to indicate it, I'll call it the shita that... Uh, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't describe
1: it. So that. how would you describe it? I would describe it as the stretching stretching back, showing them... Uh, Avi Ravitsky in his book has a chapter, His book on he has a book on Zionism, different shitas, he has a whole chapter in which he says he started his research on the use of the as in Hashkafa, thinking that's a brand new thing. and He
0: discovered that's a long-standing Shita uh, in many regions. Okay, so uh, it's inexact to call it Satmer, but they are definitely the, some of the most vocal uh, adherents to this, this Shita. I don't deny that it has
1: antecedents.
0: Uh, yeah, no. yeah, yeah, it definitely has and sure antecedents and me. you can find it in V'eol Moshe and you can find it in other sources as well, but that looks at any sort of type of malchus, any sort of government that is as is, is something that is verboten, It's something that, that should not be done. God is against this, that the only government that is possible in that land will be the messianic one, the one that will be brought forth by God, which we are davening so fervently for to happen. And, and the attempt to uh, have a, a a government without that, despite having some orthodox element in it, is actually a, uh, what would you refer to it as, it's an abomination.
1: i say, although I don't know how much he really meant it, but that that school of thought says it's an element or perhaps even a form of, of heresy. So, uh, yeah, you do with that school of thought. And obviously you're going to go, if we go on the reverse side of the spectrum, there are those who think it's an extraordinary blessing for the Jewish people, maybe some form of a beginning of a Messianic
0: era. Right, and and we could say, of course, that was articulated uh, famously by Rabbi Tzvi Hersh Kalischer, Talmud of Veger, yes. in his Sefer, right. Drisha's HaSzion, and the right. sources that he brought to bear that based on the Zohar and the Medrash Tanchum and others, that the Geula was supposed to happen uh, little by little, but the Bnei Yisrael were supposed to affect that by their... Coming to Eretz Yisrael by what they were doing and building. And again, the, the supposedly, you know, there are secret writings from the Vilnagon, which also yeah. corroborate this. Yeah, it's seemingly impossible to
1: reconcile these two these opinions. These two different approaches in Ashkafa, certainly, halakha ramifications as well. So I, I, I begin the discussion by simply offering my existential, my phenomenological response, and then I will get to my philosophic response. My my existential response is that when I go to Eretz and we've discussed this in the past, I want to spend some time in Meisharim, in, uh, in Terebihira, in Oil Sara, in Tolisarim, and I also want to spend some time amongst the uh, fervent uh, religious Zionist right-wing settlements uh, surrounding Shechem on the, on Hebron. And I, I derive spiritual sustenance from both, from both. So that's how I begin the discussion, by saying I experience both of them as positive religious experiences. As an existential act, I try to purchase wine from vineyards that lie on the uh, east side of the green line in order to partake of, of that approach, the, uh, the, the Masnachlisha or the uh, Yishuv and its approach. So anyway, question is two things. One, can we somehow square the circle and say both are true? Maybe, maybe you can say there's an element in which this is a blessing and maybe there is an element in which it's a curse. Maybe it's, it's helping our anticipation of Mashiach, maybe it's hindering that. So I think maybe you could say that there may be a larger truth which incorporates the same thing with Hasidim Isnag, same thing with secular study, women's education, all these issues, that there could be a truth in both. And both are a reflection of of reality. They need not be in utter contradiction. That's that's my first formulation. Now, my second formulation, which, again, I've been reading a bit about in preparation for this discussion, and in this we see in the, the Ishbits and other places that the truths of God's existence need not be logical in terms of the human understanding. So that although it may appear inherently contradictory, somewhere, somehow, somewhere— it's not inherently contradictory, which is certainly the way I experience it personally. In that um, I experience hisodorus, uh, um, varmkeit, in in both places. So I put those two possibilities on the table. One, there may be a larger truth which partakes of both, and secondly, we not we may not be
0: the the correct decipherers of divine logic. Could we also say that a, a lot of the Discord comes from people in the middle. In other words, I think the ones who see this as a gift from God, Komas uh, HaMedina, as the steps of the kiyam of Bias Mashiach, they, of course, would be mavatal themselves in order to build this country. They are the ones who will serve proudly in the army, they are the ones who are going to recognize, despite the irreligious nature of, of many of the leaders, that it's all part of God's plan. And it's important to stay in that government. It's important to, to be connected and to firmly support anything that you can. And then you have, let's say, the, the – and again, I'm gonna, I use it just in a broad way. Let's say the take who refuse to take things from the government. They don't want to vote. They refuse to take monies. They aren't, they aren't going to be hypocritical. Where you have right. in the middle, you have this group that, on one end, will pay lip service to how terrible and trafe the Medina is, but are taking all their, not only the services that are necessary for them to live, but are also taking stipends and monies. Yeah,
1: have I quoted on this program before? Benny Brown, he's a historian in Hebrew You, He says... The, the, um, Haredim, and by that he means that not anti, so the non-Zionist Haredim, which is the majority. He said the Haredim are right-wing religious Zionists in their kishkis. They cheer on the wars. They love a harsh treatment of the Palestinians. They love the money. They get mad if you don't give it to them. And on the other hand, they're not Zionists somehow. So again, in that middle position, as I've said in the past, whenever I present a different sheets to my tomidim, that always gave me the toughest time. But I suppose we can re- invite them into our discussion by saying they've dropped the issue. They don't deal with the issue. But if you would ask
0: them, do you believe this is Azkhal oh, to the Gula, they would shake their heads <laughs> and stamp their feet. Of course not. you you asked what do you think about Mesharam
1: Antizam? Oh, extreme radical, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> What's the truth? Truth is yours. I always say you become an Agudagudal by believing in their ideology, and then you can become one of the Gududalim. But if you don't accept their ideology, no matter how much Torah you might know, you cannot be. So, fact, you cannot become a
0: Gudal. Interesting worldview. Like you say that you get spiritual sustenance from. Each of these approaches because you you feel that you want to spend time with them, but you recognize yes. that there is a a tension and a churning that occurs when you try to combine. Yes. And, and and if someone will ask you, well, then what are you? you'll say you're part of this multivalent world that has room for both. Yes. Uh, you know, I, I just want to yes. point out that, and I mentioned this to you yesterday when we were talking about doing this program. That the example that we gave is rooted in a ma and ashkova, but is super practical about life in Eretz Yisrael today. There was there was another great debate that occurred uh, in the period of the Rishonim that sparked one of the most incendiary intellectual arguments, which was, of course, the attack on the Sifreya Rambam. I recommend our listeners to get a hold of Saracek's book on the Mamanidin controversy, which does a great job. Um, you can look at Zinberg's uh, history as well that's been translated by Case Western. But basically, as we know, the Rambams was was attacked, the Sefer Mada, where he talks about what Ilam Haba is, where he indicates what the neshama is, parts of marinavuchim, of course, as well, and there was a, a a move to ban the Rambam for for these opinions. The baliatesis we mentioned positively earlier uh, were shocked. The Rashmishans, mishans who I mentioned earlier, he rejects forcefully this idea that tchias hamesim is some sort of miracle, but is not necessarily important for what Olam is. Chiyos HaMesim is something that the Rambam sort of calls a, a miracle that, that has to happen. But clearly, uh, the, the body having any part in what's considered the ultimate reward of a human being with God is, is nonsensical. He, he rejects that. He says the soul that we have been graced with is all potential that we use the the godly aspect of ourselves, which is our mind, our ability to formulate, to intellectualize, to theorize, to be able to work on abstract thought, which to him is the highest, holiest work that a, a, a person can do. To move from the particular to the universal is bonding with God. And only those souls who, because of the mitzvos that they have done has given a, been a launch pad for the the human being and his soul to really become one with what he calls the Seychel HaPayel.
1: A Calvinist theology which allows only for the salvation of the philosophers. Very small heaven. The Rambam has a very small
0: heaven. And, and this opinion of the Rambam it, obviously is something that he was damned for. And it was interesting that the Ramban uh, defends him, the Ramban, who in many circles is seen as the linchpin of Kabbalistic thought. Now, what he says is in the Sharagmu is that the Rambam's description of the Dveikus of the actualized soul with the universal Seichelapeo in such Tainug is to him a beautiful description of what we call Gan Eden. So I, I think, you know, we talk about Eilu elu, and we talk about uh, Eluva elu on and, 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 and in some ways, don't you think, Rav Mayer, that this is almost even a greater question than the Nafkemene between, you know, the Kowisher Satmer divide about right. what, right? This really goes to the essence of what we are, and, and, and what God is, and what our souls are.
1: I agree. I agree completely, and I think that any, a whole holistic approach to that is going to have to resort to and reconciliations that go beyond our logic. I agree with you. I just wanted to add one more point before, because I don't want to leave here leaving the non-Zionists, which are the majority of Chareden in the world. I don't want us to leave them battered and bloodied on the battlefield here. Um, I would say that, um although I I don't see them as possessing a worldview that travels well outside the confines of the Base Medrash or Shalashudas or wherever they congregate, I do find their life as lived, as inspirational. So there are some ideas that belong within the box in which they are articulated, but I would very much enjoy sitting in one of their bottom the and learning, going to to Bells, to Viznitz, to... To, to to all those pasim which are part of the non-Zionist world. So let's make them part of this of the Aruch song by virtue of the way they live their lives, which again not free of criticism there either, but by virtue of how they live their lives and say that they are not responsible for those who take their worldview
0: outside of the basement This touches on about something that we've discussed. A number of times, which is the difference between the hashkoffa that you fervently believe in and the meisim toivim and the midas toivis that you exhibit I in the world. It. One of the greatest mystics of the of the twentieth century happened to be Rabbi Avraham Yitzchak Cook, and I say this not just because of my affinity, you know, to his ideas, but also the edus that his talmud, uh, Rav Charlap wrote. Of of the the messages that he experienced, he Rav Chalap says that in the midst of World War One, when he went to the Queso, the Rav Chalap writes, and he writes to Rav Kook about this. Rav Kook doesn't say it wasn't true that he was getting, he was getting like mental messages from from his Rebbe who was trapped in in Europe. We are talking here about someone who who not only wrote and loved. Kabola he was someone who i really believe was about Rakahai and a Mikubel. and 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 Rav Cook was uh, of course extremely well read and Zevi Ivitz has told us Yisrael, uh which was a a wonderfully written book but written by by the way the secretary of the Mizrahi movement Zevi Ivitz was the secretary of the Mizrahi movement in his volume dealing with the Rambam he basically Nicely writes, but he, he he dismisses much of the Rambam's ideology and ideas as based on Aristotelian and Arabic interpreters of that Aristotelian point of view. In other words, the Aristotelians didn't have any sense of of God revealing anything, and the 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 Arab uh, sort of uh, the Arabs took Aristotelian thought and transmuted it, or we shaped it into religious thinking, and that was the intellectual environment the Rambam was born in, and that's what he applied to Chazal, and he applied it to Torah in general.
1: The Shalman Emunim HaKadma, as you mentioned before, of course brings that tradition at the end of his life. Right. He uh, encountered and uh, was about ready to
0: rewrite many things. Right. But these, these, these are some of the, as Shalom has pointed out, uh, there arose a number of these false letters of the Rambam, where the Rambam, you know, was misharet. And of course, this really is a testament to how strong the Rambam was, because, you know, how how could you push Kabbalah forward if the Rambam rejected it? But my point is that Rav instead of applauding and saying, yeah, I'm on the right side, he castigated Ziaivitz, and he said, how dare you write this about him? I, it's not that I agree with his Hashgafa, but once he articulated it, absorbed it, and lived it, and davened his Shemayin with Tzvilus to the Seichel hapoyo and speaking about his nefesh and neshoma in these Arabic Aristotelian terms that he had elevated, so it becomes Kodesh, Rav Kook says. It becomes Kodesh with the neshoma of the Rambam himself, that even if he was mistaken, and he was the inventor and, and no one else had said it before, but the power of an individual to grasp an approach and be honest and live with it allows it not only to work for himself, but if Cook says it allows it to work for others who now want to follow that path, it's now got the kedusha of the Nisham of the Rambam himself. and And therefore, you know, others can now... Even though it, it seems to be antithetical to Chazal to say there were no shadim, all the opinions that that we all know from the Rambam that sound so odd, we can adopt them. And he feels he's Rav Kook wasn't adopting them, but it's open. and And I think this is a uh, uh, this point is not only an interesting idea, but I think it could perhaps help others who are <laughs> who are students in whatever derech. That if if that derech was developed by a person and and, and, and it's l'shem shamayim, it, it also through the individual kedusha of the of the progenitor of that idea, it now can become the Nechas of Klal Yisrael.
1: Well, again, I, you know, I'm accepting. Well, let's accept what you're saying in terms of legitimization, and let us accept even to say someone might yet adopt that today. But it's still going to leave us searching for how to understand, is there not a truth about how the soul is judged in the afterlife? So, again, let's accept a legitimization, but then we're still going to have to somehow wrestle with uh, how does that impact upon the actual truth of of the afterlife. As you say,
0: like the the it doesn't make a difference. In other words, there yeah, yeah, really, really, yeah. in other words, can anyone say as Rav Cook says that the Rambam somehow comes to the Illuma MS and is now sitting like like with the dunce cap, like in the corner, right? You know what I'm saying? No, but since he lived and was able to to synthesize and insert and elevate those ideas, he has to have the that heichau, and by the way, in, in the Shiv Chabesh, it mentions how when the Besht made an alias neshama, he he first went to the Heichal of the Balian and then he went higher to the Heichal of the Rambam. So it's, it's 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 incredible that the Rambam's Heichal, despite its its foreign you know accoutrements, because of who he is, was able to achieve that. And I, again, I think that this I think this generates hope for everyone out there whatever argument they're engaged in, if they are, as you say, in their midos L'shem Shemayim, if they clearly do not trample on, on, on others, that they're not engaged in the pettiness of lashon Hara, that, that, that almost everything about them is, uh, uh, is, is exemplary, I, I think one could say that, the, that they are living that life. They are living a life that the Rabbeinu Shalom is Nisratza with. Wouldn't
1: you say that? Within the conf- within the confines of Torah. In other words... Yes, of course. You know, we to, yeah, right, yeah. We have to say that those who step out of that are, are different. Listen, the, they say the Rambam is going to be very busy in heaven confronting all the briska right. uh, for the distortions of what he wrote in his mission of to Torah. So, he will have a, quite a busy task there to justify the philosophy and to pr- critique briskism, I suppose. Right,
0: right. him. I think we've, like we said, okay. we, I, think, I think we've revealed the the tip of the iceberg, but I, I hope yes. I hope those that are out there in the in the North Atlantic don't necessarily feel that they are going to go down with the ship.
1: May we continue the metaphor a bit and say that students of the Titanic say that, would the ship not have turned and would have smashed head on to the light, to, to the iceberg, the ship would have survived and far fewer people would have died. It was scraping the side of it which popped all those rivets. So maybe we should sail on and confront That's right.
0: Us. E- even though it seems to be it seems to be fraught with difficulty and discord. Sail on, sail on. <laughs> <laughs> <Thank> <laughs> we'll you. catch you, with us next time. Take care everybody. Be well. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I hope you liked what you heard. If you did, please take a moment to share this or any of the many episodes available on our platform with friends in order to help grow our community. Until next time, shalom.